you know when kids are you know little kids fall they're really close to the ground so yeah they don't get they don't break everything like if we fall we break things if they fall they just get a scraped knee we were kind of close to the ground mm. and we had no idea if it was going to work but we just i just kept sticking to it welcome to the veranda entrepreneur podcast i'm christine mills on the veranda entrepreneur podcast i feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Mills. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Sharon Rowe. She is a CEO and founder of Eagle Bags Products Incorporated. Eagle Bags is the original reusable bag brand sold worldwide, recognized as the best for the world by B Corporation for its social and environmental commitments and standards. Sharon is recognized as leader in social innovation, sustainable, and responsible production since 1989. She speaks regularly on, belie- on building profitable mission and value aligned businesses, believing that businesses can be a force for good, Sing Sing Prison, the Nairobi Center for Innovation in Kenya, to Social Venture Institute Conference in the Hudson Valley. And she also has been featured in Time Magazine, Glamour Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur Magazine, and she's been on NPR, on Air America, and in the award-winning documentary, Baggett. EcoBags was also featured on Oprah's first dedicated Earth Day show. She is the author of a really great book. I enjoyed reading this book. It's called The Magic of Tiny Businesses. You don't have to go big to make a great living. Welcome to the veranda, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah, you have such a <laughs> great um, background. So, you know, I, I just want us to little, know a little bit about Sharon. Uh, so, Give us the Sharon 101, you know, where are you mm-hmm. from and what were you like yeah. as a child? Oh, my gosh. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> 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 All right. Let's go back to Camp Woodstock. No, inch by inch, step by step. It's basically um, I grew up in central Connecticut outside of Hartford. My dad had an Army-Navy store. Um, he had a men's clothing store before that, but it got taken over by eminent domain. So he was unemployed for a bunch of years, and then he did an um, Army-Navy store, which was, you know, totally pre-GAP. Um, I'm 63, so this is like, you know, pre-everything. Okay. Um, and we had one phone in the house with a really long cord. <laughs> Whoever got to the phone first would take the phone into whatever room they had. Um, my mom was basically a, now they call it a stay-at-home mom or whatever, but, you know, until she, until my my sisters were in high school when, when she went back and worked, um, and um She's from New York, and she married my dad young, 22, had me. Um, and I grew up sort of in a regular, I mean, I didn't know any difference, sort of the cul-de-sac. Every house on the street looked the same, you know, split levels. My best friends were Debbie and Wendy. They lived on either side of me. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I went to public school, and um, I was the first one to go to college in my family, the first one to graduate college. Um oh, wow. And um, I grew up in, like I said, central Connecticut. Back then, it, it snowed, so I learned how to ski on a on a golf course and on a, a local in a local park. 
you know, when you oh. had to sort of go down a little hill with wooden skis and you would have to wax them. And um, so I kind of had one of those childhoods where we just went out and played all day. And when my mom would ring a bell, we'd come home for dinner. That sounds very magical and special. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, pretty I, normal know, back then, you know. We just, yeah. That's what we did, yeah. Yeah. I am actually um, originally from South Florida, but I lived in Central Connecticut for 13 years. So oh, you when go. you were talking about um, in your book about Bloomfield, Connecticut, uh-huh. my sister-in-law lives in Bloomfield, Connecticut, and I lived in Hartford. Uh-huh. Are oh. you from Bloomfield? No, I was from West Hartford, but my dad's oh, store was in Bloomfield. So Milk's Army oh, Navy in Bloomfield was his store. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and it was right down from the deli and next to the Greek. There was, well, there was a Greek luncheonette, and there was the, the the Jewish deli, and he was right in between, across oh, from the okay. bank. Kind so of catty corner to Cumberland Farms, if you remember Cumberland Farms. With all oh, West Hartford Sun- area. I, yeah, uh-huh, I you uh-huh. about West Hartford. Oh, nice. Park Road yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay, Park nice. Avenue. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. I love West Hartford. Okay. Yeah, Central Central Connecticut. Yeah, and I was we lived on the last street in West Hartford before you hit Bloomfield, and back then it was just farms. In fact, we would yeah. ride our bicycles down um, Still Road and wind up at a dairy, wow. where um, we would just like you know sort of munch out on Sundays with Pepperidge Farm cookies because it was the seventies, so there were a lot of illegal substances back then. <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> <say>. <laughs> And so while we were protesting the Vietnam War, there was also little, you know, nickel bags of things. So we were just normal Connecticut kids, is all I could say. In the way back. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just just so funny, like, to hear these stories because um, Connecticut has such a reputation of being so many different things. And when you talk to, you know, different people, depending on who you're speaking to, they may have had a different experience, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when you think of Stepford Wives, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not that, not that. When I moved, when I first came to New York, because that's where I live now, just north of New York City, about 25, 30 miles. But when I first came to Metropolitan New York and lived in the city, people say, oh, you lived in Connecticut. And I was like, no, 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 no. I didn't live in Fairfield County. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't, I was, the Red Sox were my team. Yeah, that was the yeah. divider, right? I mean, the right. Yankees went so far, but my mother was a Yankees fan because she's from Queens. So we always right. had that divide in our family, even though none of us actually played any sports. Okay. <laughs> but in your heart, in your heart, right? In our heart. We had to we had to be aligned. And finally, when, they, you know, when the Red Sox, you know, broke through after whatever their curse, we were like, yay! Yeah. <laughs> even though we, really, we don't really care. <laughs> but, right, right. That's what it's like growing up in South Florida. Like everyone is like University of Florida, Florida State, uh-huh. University uh-huh. of Miami, and I couldn't care less. And my two sisters, they went to one went to university. One, two of my sisters went to University of Florida, and the other one went to Florida State. And they're always uh-huh. bickering, and I'm like, I really don't care. <laughs> Whatever, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's very nice. It, you know, yeah. so it kind of makes sense. You know, when you think about it, you grew up in Connecticut, and I and I do feel like, especially that part of Connecticut, is very New England, and um, mm-hmm. it, it makes total sense that you started your company, Eco Bags, because of sustainable yeah. recycling uh, philosophy. Yeah, you know, I kind of don't know if that came from my parents though, or where I grew up, because aside from planting one specific strain of a, a plant at some point in my my old, you know, <laughs> medium childhood to adulthood. I really had no interest in in the environment other than it was there. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I went to Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I yep. and when I was there, I did a lot of. I was in theater, okay, so that was my trajectory. Even though they didn't have a theater department, well, they had somewhat of a theater department. I was an actor, but I went to Clark because they gave me like a really good package, you know, financial package, um, and. I studied things like geography of American poverty. So back then, I was already learning about redlining and I was learning about all these disparities, which are in such broad contrast right now, right? Yeah. What's going on? That coupled with, you know, really studying theater and understanding what's involved in theater, the skills uh, that you have to develop for communication, for listening, for playing with other people, for creating community, all of that sort of came together in a way that after college, my first job was with a theater company in Washington, D.C., where I worked in underserved um, communities. I was, like, actually doing improv theater. I wasn't in, I wasn't an actor with this. I was a, a technical assistant, but a production assistant. But we were going into, like, Lorton State Reformatory, D.C. Correctional Facility, um, and different kinds of uh, children's homes. I'm holding up quotes in Baltimore. So that was... So really going into populations where it it was like, it was what's now is exponentially more than what was then and back then it was horrible. Mm-hmm. So that awareness um, of social conditions and then you then you move to the Hudson Valley, right? And, and I moved to New York and you see, you know, as an actor, you can't live in the fanciest neighborhood. So you live where you live. You live where you can right. afford rent. And I was living up in Washington Heights, and I was like to say pre-Hamilton, um, yeah. which I love Lin-Manuel and what he did. It's like amazing. But anyway, um, and they, I just saw plastic bags everywhere. And, and the thing is, they were just garbage instantly. They were the cheap kind. They weren't even reinforced. And it, right. just, it just made me mad. It was like it's so wasteful. Mm-hmm. And that's before I even knew what they were made of. I just right. – and. I'm tying that together in a long way to say that's when my environmental sort of awareness um, woke up together with what I brought forward, which was my social economic awareness. And then you tie that all in with the Hudson Valley and Pete Seeger and having an awareness around that. That's when it kind of woke up. I don't think it came from the suburbs in Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> oh, darn. Yeah. I was trying to get some kind of... <laughs> yeah, I know. However... <laughs> However, the the desire to own my own business did because my dad owned his own business largely because he was unemployable, right? He was like mm-hmm. in his mid-40s when he lost his first store. Um, but that idea of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, that yeah. when you can be in charge of what you do, it's kind of contagious, even if it's not as secure as, you know, um, and we see that now, right? Yeah. Gosh, we see that now. It is nowhere near as secure or maybe people on the other side would say that's not secure either, but it's nowhere near as secure as being part of a larger mothership. But that's a really long sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, yeah. your your book, you really delve deep into how you started your company. And yeah. I actually listened to your book, so I had the pleasure of hearing Ooh. you read your book, which is really amazing. And so I'll take these nice walks, and I'll just be listening to your book. And I love how you <laughs> talked about the beginning stages of your of your journey of, starting your your company how you you took some steps back um and how you came to the realization that it will work so can you walk us through stages of like before you launched it and how you were able to prepare yourself financially to launch it because at one point you got a roommate and the sacrifices you made to make sure that your company was a viable company sure well 
in the very beginning of starting the company, it was just basically like, oh, this is a good idea. I mean, and literally at our kitchen table, my husband said, oh, let's call it Eco Bags. And I was like, okay, because he was a lyricist and a musician. I said, that works. Yeah. We, I, I really didn't have a financial plan. I didn't have a business plan. I just knew that I didn't want to continue doing the work I was doing in New York City um, for a company that I really didn't have any passion for. Um, and I just had a baby, and I didn't want to be getting on the subway every day uh, to go downtown to work in an office where I just didn't feel that connection. On top of that, the manager was a real jerk. So, right. <laughs> and this is, this is way before the conversation about, you know, taking time off to have a, a baby. This is like, oh, you're pregnant, so you'll be back in a week. Right? Wow. So it's like, no, I don't think so. So, what we did is we just basically, my husband was a musician and, um, uh, sort of a freelance piano teacher at that point. And I had been an actor and I'd worked at a little bit at this. That wasn't really a corporate job. It was a small business sales position. Um, and I was making good money. It wasn't fulfilling. And we just decided that maybe we could try this new thing, which was completely untested. We had no idea if there was a market for it. Um, but I did some market testing if we cut back on everything. So we cut back to the bone. We weren't making a whole lot of money, and we even cut back. You know, we just, I, you know, I've tried to reconcile this many times, but I think the cost of living was so much less. But I haven't done the actuals, like what was a dollar worth in um, 1989 versus now. I probably should do that. It's probably about three times more now. But, like, our rent was 750 or 1000 bucks a month. And we didn't really have that many more expenses other than food, right? Yeah. That was it. Right. So we just, you know, make more, spend less. You know, say, yeah. uh, spend spend less than you make. And we just we just stuck to that. And even with the baby. Um, yeah. And even back then, I, I don't believe we had health insurance. In fact, I know we didn't. We had HIP, HIP, and so it was sort of an, a less expensive option. Um for that no market we had to work to establish the market which actually meant at that point pre-internet knocking on doors and saying what do you think of this idea (laughs) yeah um and we got very warm a warm welcome i think we might have hit like a first wave of of consciousness around oh we don't really need to use single-use items for everything that there can be an awareness around um, conservation, preservation, and uh, reusable, durable goods. Oh, as because we're so new at it, we just talked to everybody. You know, like mm-hmm. we went to the local health food store. My husband did this, and and I wouldn't even go into that store because it was gross. I mean, you know, old health food stores were like just bins of things. <laughs> there was no merchandise. <laughs> So I wasn't always that crunchy. And he said to the guy who's unloading the truck, hey, we just started this company. It's called EcoBags. This is what we do. And that company turned out to be Stowe Mills, who said we're interested. And they started buying thousands of bags from us, Wow. Um, EcoBags from us. And they became UNFI, which is United Natural Foods, which is the wow. largest distributor for natural foods. So we kind of, you know, when... Kids are, you know, little kids fall. They're really close to the ground, so yeah. they don't get, they don't break everything. Like if we fall, we break things. If they fall, they just get a scraped knee. We were kind of close to the ground, mm. and we had no idea if it was going to work. But we just, I just kept sticking to it. Too, I love that analogy that you were so close to the ground. It's like, okay, if I fall, I'll just get back up and ask someone else. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I really do believe and have said many times that my acting training prepared me for failure. Because as an actor in New York, you hear no nine out of ten times. And sometimes you don't even hear no. You know, you go and you, you work really hard. You uh, perfect that monologue or you get that song, you know, right. And you go in for the audition and you do it and they say, thank you. Hmm. And that's it. You just never hear back. So getting used to rejection is part of the job. Um, mm. So it didn't it didn't stop me, but it's really not about rejection, is it? It's about listening to why someone says no, because if they say no, you say, well, why? <laughs> yeah. Or why not? Because there's always little bits of information in there, and it's not easy when you you can't pay your rent. That's when it gets really tight. Um, so that's why you just cut back on all the other things. You just, I mean, I remember a time when we didn't have. Um, well, they say a pot to piss in, but that's kind of gross, right? But we didn't have any extra. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. It came right. in, it went out. Yeah. Yeah. For years. Yeah. But it was okay because we somehow managed to spend less than we made. Even if right. a little bit, and that that's my takeaway on that for anybody who have, you know was listening. It's like, even if you only have 10 bucks a week, put it away. Mm-hmm. Because you can't recreate that. And do you really need that donut or that cup of coffee or whatever? And you can eat really well if you cook for yourself. That's very true. That is very true. You mentioned some of the items that you're making tonight, which sounded really, yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my entire meal tonight, if you if you kind of quantified the chicken, which is only what was left over from it, um, was cabbage. Right. I mean, I, I actually have been the director of, of a, a camp for many years, uh, years ago, not um, all summer camp, but like a two-week multi-generational camp. And we fed everybody for less than $3 a day. Wow. So, really, you know, but that's stretching. That's using beans and broths and right, really, right. yeah. No, you're that absolutely right. Done. And also, yeah. to um, you know, going to your book, you had some parameters, right, when you were growing your business. And do you want to share with the listeners what your parameters were? One of them was that you wanted to be able to swim every day. You oh, wanted yeah. to You wanted to raise your family and still have time to take a nice vacation. So you, mm-hmm. built your, you built your business, and you said it took about 10 to 15 years. When were you able to do those things? Did you do it while you were building your business or from the beginning? Immediately. Yeah, immediately. I never, I never didn't take time off for swimming, and I never didn't take time off for, for vacations. Um, yeah. However, let, let's make a note here. This, a lot of this was pre-internet, right? So if you think about pre-internet and pre-email, nobody could reach me. It wasn't yeah. uncommon, you know, even, even in the early 2000s for somebody to call and I could get back to them within 48 hours or 72 hours. Right. It wasn't the same kind of immediacy that there's an expectation now unless you can reset that expectation. Right, right. And But, but yeah. part of that reset, setting the expectation is is being aware that if you reset that expectation, you may not get that piece of business. And by business, I mean that, that relationship because now so many things have become commoditized that if someone doesn't want you specifically because of the brand you've created, they'll just go on to the next bag company or bean company or soap company or whatever. So 
So it really goes way back to how do you build your brand and build the values around what you're doing so that the person who wants to interact with you is saying, I want to work with them. Or I want that product, not any other. So it's, but I think now it's more complicated because of the immediacy and because of the, um, how much is in the marketplace. And also because, you know, on Amazon, you can just go on and say, okay, I want blah, blah, blah. And you come up with a million choices. You pick one and you're out within like 12 seconds. Yeah. And in that way, it makes it a little bit harder to um, stay small. Um, and have those parameters because the marketplace feels so flooded. It feels like everyone is. Uh, yeah, okay, no, the market. So, yeah, it's tricky. But you know what? You can still. It depends on what your goals are, right? Um, mm-hmm. So when I say small business or tiny business, it's about being intentional. And being intentional means you're you're finding that balance between what kind of income you want to make. And how is that related to the growth revenue that you need? And and what kind of life do you want to have while you make that? Yeah, because in your book, you talked about that, the fact that if you, you have those parameters from the beginning, it makes it so much easier while you're building your business. Um, there's a quote yeah. that I like that you said, entrepreneurship can be a pleasurable hike. With a tiny business, you get to stop and smell the roses, uh, smell the flowers. Which is a big yeah. difference to be, yeah. So you you put that into your projection that you know I th- these are non-negotiables. I want to have time with my family. I want to raise my children. I want to go swimming. I want to go on vacations. And if you have that as a non-negotiable, you just build your business around that. And there are there will t- probably be some setbacks along the way because of your choice, but at least you're at peace with that choice as well. Yeah, and I don't know if they're setbacks, but they're you know they're they're, they're you're you're curating the the journey, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, because we all put meetings on our calendar, right? Why should right. my my swim or my hike or my week off be any different than me talking to you right now on a podcast? Exactly. Right. I, it's exactly. equally weighted. Just equally weighted, and also when you put something on your calendar and you call it business. Dare me to tell you what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, Just of course. So, yeah. yeah. So for those of us who have not read the book, tell us a little bit about The Magic of Tiny Businesses. And it's the name of the book, everyone, The Magic of Tiny Businesses, You Don't Have to Go Big to Make a Great Living. So who were you writing this book for? And what would you say is the gist about the book uh, for any entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I, I think I was writing the book for me but 20 years ahead. I was saying basically you you don't have to compromise your values um, to create the kind of life and living that you want um, so long as you can really stay focused on your values and on the math. That would be the summary. Follow Math doesn't lie, right? So know your margins, know, know what you need in order to, you know, know your, know your growth so you know your net, so you know your net profit, so you know how to reinvest. So get smart about really basic business things, but then stay true to who you are and how you want to run your business so that you're not constantly chipping away at what you value most. And what I mean by that is like, um, so you don't, 
um, go to the cheaper supplier just because. But it kind of hurts. So you don't use the, uh, I don't know, if you were like in fashion, you don't use the fabrics you don't want. But the thing is you, you have to navigate this very carefully and always check in with yourself because sometimes you have to make some compromises, but you want to make sure you don't make the ones that I call nick your soul. And we all know what those are because we've all had jobs. I mean, I've probably had 20 jobs in my life, right? And I had a lot of temp jobs when I first was in New York and was working as an actor because when you're working for an actor, you're basically doing temp jobs. Um, so, you know, you know, that's what you're doing. You know, you're doing a lot of auditions and you're working all night long performing, but you're going, showing up in the morning to some office to do some, some task. Um, that if you do those things that, that claw at you, you start to lose who you are, right? And sometimes you just have to do those things and grit your teeth because you just got to pay the rent or put food on the table. But if you can set your, they call, a lot of people call it your North Star, if you can set your star on where you want to go, you can incrementally work towards making that be how you design or curate or build what you're going to build. And you can, what I'm, the key thing is that it's profitable because if you're going to be in business and you're not going to generate a profit, then it's like having a car where you can't, you know, plug it in for any electric charge or you can't put any gas in it. How are you going to get done what you're going to, do, you know, get done? You don't have a platform. Mm-hmm. And you're right. how much you want to make is up to you. I mean, some people would say, I want to make millions and millions and millions. Or somebody else might say, I'm good if I just break even. So it's really personal to everybody's situation and to their economic um, picture whether they're alone or whether they're with a partner or maybe they're not with that partner anymore or they have dependents, it's it's really, you know, individual. Yeah. I love that uh, because you were saying in your book that tiny business doesn't necessarily mean the numbers. It really means the intention and your why. Yeah, it's all about the intention. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I, I, I've always been really kind of, I like to hit on the point that when I did this, I didn't have any backup. I didn't have... A trust fund. I didn't have wealthy parents. <laughs> I didn't have anybody who come in there and just write me a check. I didn't have, you know, in, in this world now, what has evolved is, you know, you, you go and you go to fa- friends and family for your initial funding. Well, my friends and family, first of all, my family couldn't afford to give me any money. And my friends were all artists. There were no friends or family rounds. This was incremental. This was a bootstrap, inch by inch, step by step. And there was no money back then uh, when I started from banks. Banks wouldn't even talk to us. And I don't even know if I knew to talk to banks or to credit unions. But I knew how to flip credit cards. I was really good at that. You went into detail (laughs) of how you flipped it. That was brilliant. (laughs) And you had like a a system, like 0% interest. You pay off the 0% interest. (laughs) Yeah, the yaya. Yeah, yeah, 90s. I had credit cards at 0%. I never went above 0%. I was flipping those right and left. I had a stack of like 15 of them. But I love the fact that you pretty much turned advice on its head because a lot of times people are like, oh, whenever you start a business, go to friends and family. But if you don't have friends and family, where do you go? You start with a dollar and you make two. Yeah. And then you put 50 cents aside and you move ahead with a dollar 50. You know what I'm saying? You just incrementally build it. And um, that goes to another point. In your book, you discuss the difference between the sum of things, S-U-M, 
and mm-hmm. some things. And a lot of mm-hmm. times when we look at when we're starting a business, we're like, oh, well, I don't have a million dollars. I don't have a private equity firm giving me money. But if we were to sum up everything we have while we're starting a business, we have a whole lot. Yeah. And that I know more now than I did then. I did not know that then. I did not know the value of um, friend, friends and family for communications, right? Who knows who? Everyone mm-hmm. knows someone. And if they can't help you financially, they might know someone who maybe has a store. Or, or like my sister actually the other day just turned me on to someone who um, has, um, oh, God, I can't remember, like a resale opportunity. Oh, I was just talking to Jennifer. She said you should talk to her. Okay. You, you know, things come in right and left. And, and basically you're just building relationships. You're, it's an ecosystem. And I think when we're in a situation like we are now with, with COVID, um, and I went through this already, um, although this is 10 times more challenging, um, but in the recession, you realize that businesses are like an ecosystem. Um, and if nobody wants the other ones to fail, because we all work together to create this thing called the economy. And that, at least that's among what I would call tiny businesses. I mean, I think biz, big business is a part of that, but it's a very separate part of it. Um, but we're all working together. You know, the people who deliver the provisions to a restaurant want that restaurant to thrive. They don't want mm-hmm. it to sink. <laughs> they right. want it to have customers. You know, it's like, and all the way down to the farmer who's planting the things in order for the, um, you know, the wholesaler, the distributor to pick up the goods to bring them to the, whoever's going to bring it to the restaurant. You know, there's like so many layers, layers upon layers, not to mention the people who do the laundry for the restaurant. Nobody wants that restaurant to go out of business or that bar or that coffee shop or that dry cleaner. I never looked at it like that. You're you're absolutely right because I think sometimes when um, we go into business, we think about what we have to do, what we have to do. But I think one of the first things that we should all do is focus on creating a community around that business, which yeah, really su- all about, support yeah. the business. Right. It's all about community. So, and with EcoBags, what we did is we created a business that was mission based, which is like we wanted to change behavior on how people shop to realize that. You know, bringing your own bag to the store is really the first step of many to realize you don't need to be wasteful. You don't need to create harm. Um, and that reverberates, you know, so people get to know your brand, but then they bring it into the store, but they bring it into their the store they love. And then the person in the store says, where did you get that? And then all of a sudden you have a relationship there and then you go and, you know, it just it exponentially builds. Right. And it's not intangible it's extremely tangible it's not like trading stocks right and or hedge funds. you know yeah. you did all of this and eventually you were featured on oprah yeah so this is a big deal <laughs> how was yeah it to yeah be well, featured on oprah well it was very cool <laughs> first of all <laughs> i wasn't featured on oprah my bags were so i mean i have okay. to you know i was just sitting home um but i had never watched oprah i knew who she was because my neighbor loved her and my mother-in-law loved her. But I was always busy working. I had two kids and I worked full time, right? Because I'm, I'm building this business. So I'm like, Oprah Schmopra, who's that? You know, I had no idea. But I knew <laughs> that if these two people thought she was amazing, maybe she was really amazing. And then I realized that millions and millions of people watched her. It's like, oh. 
So I literally, in this, it was um, January of the year that we were featured, which was in April for her first birthday show. I called up the only PR person I'd ever known who I had sort of inadvertently sat next to at an event, which I didn't want to go to uh, because my sister, who was my marketing director, said, you need to go to events. You need to meet people. And I was like, I don't like talking to people. Um, and so I sat next to this woman, <laughs> Nancy Schenker. And, I, and so I called her up like a month later and I said, oh, hi, yeah, I need some PR. I'd never used PR. I said, I want to be on Oprah. She was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I said, no, really. This is a really good time for us. This is, this is going to happen. I can feel it. And luckily, she had someone, a freelancer she was working with who was part of her team, Anne-Marie Nieves, who's also become a very close friend and who, by the way, I'm drinking Whispering Angel right now. That's our favorite drink um, of okay. the rosé. Um, um, Anne-Marie was like, she knew someone who knew someone who knew someone to get. Uh, intel on what Oprah, well, you know, was doing in terms of future segments. And I think we got a call a week before Oprah's first Earth Day um, uh, show, which was going to feature Semran Seti, who I'd never heard of at that point. But And I, we got a call and said, you're on. Oh, my gosh. A week before. Like, okay. Yeah, a week before. So we had to immediately ship out a lot of bags so that, you know, everybody in the audience gets their bag. Um and then she quite literally only pointed to what we were offering because we were we were the reusable bag, but then she also had reusable water bottles. And this is, you know, a while ago. What this is 15 years ago now, um, right, 2007, so a while ago. Um, and that told – I remember sitting in my living room watching the TV with my mother and my neighbor and going, oh, shit. We, I mean, we went from, you know, a few trickles of phone calls a day to like hundreds. Wow. Hundreds. And we luckily were already in 2007 on a cloud-based system. So we didn't crash. But if you remember back to then, that's when those commercials were running where they'd all sit around and go, oh, my gosh, oh, yay, oh, yeah, oh, you know, everything would crash. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't, yeah, yeah. yeah, remember those? So we didn't yes, crash. Yes, I do. <laughs> But we went from a two-person team, me plus one, in my house, to a six-person team uh, in an office, which was luckily only a few doors down from my house because there was uh, a second floor of of an apartment we we took over, uh, which we then were were released from because it was in a residential district. But anyway, um, overnight, overnight. And we had so many people calling and saying, I want to go green. And we were like, all right. (laughs) <laughs> and and we had we were back ordered for like three months. Wow. Just by her pointing to it briefly. Just she pointed to it. And then she re ran it the next year. Yeah. Wow. So talk about a spike. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And that was even more than the year prior, I think it was, um, if I have my dates right. We were on Q V C uh, which used to just be, you know, T V sales. And I was on for some special show when we were at the Alamo in San Antonio and it was like 105 degrees and my makeup was dripping off my face and we sold out in like four minutes or something. Oh my gosh. So there's a time when things are ready to pop and there's a, and then, and then it gets all rolled back, you know, it rolls forward and it rolls back and it rolls forward and it rolls back. And now, you know, where are we? We're in the middle of a pandemic where 
really large industry is saying, don't bring your own bags, but the reusable bags. And the environmentalists are saying, wait a minute, we've been fighting this for a really long time. And the fact is, using, you know, fossil fuels to create a, an item that you use once and throw out is not economically or environmentally viable. No. It doesn't, it doesn't, just doesn't make sense. Right. At least now there's pushback. Yeah. There's so much goodness. I, mean, I have to get you back on the show because there's so much I want to talk to you about B Corporation and all that. But I know um, we have limited time. But um, you are a strong believer in knowing, entrepreneurs knowing their numbers. Um, mm-hmm. For someone who's out there is like, oh, I'm not a math person. I'm very creative. I leave that to my accountant. What is your advice to those people? Get to know your numbers. <laughs> I wasn't. I was not a math person. At all, ever. I have to tell you, I got through math in high school because my friend Debbie Spector understood math. I spent most of my time with that thing that I grew in my backyard. Um, I did not, I couldn't even add. I mean, I was terrible. But math is your friend when you're in business. You have to know your margins and you have to know your percentage margins and you have to let your math guide you because numbers don't lie. They don't. And if you really, yeah. And if you really feel strongly about your purpose and your mission, you want to have a platform to stand on, and your platform is supported by your uh, profit and loss and your cash flow. Cash flow is so important. That's what will sink you. Not your P&L, but your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have to know your numbers. Yeah, yeah businesses fell by the cash flow, not the profit and loss statement. Yeah, yeah. But you need to know your P&L, too, and you need to know your margin so you can manage your cash flow, and you have to have access to cash. And, you ha- you know, you can go under just as easily growing as you can thinking. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to know your numbers. And, and sometimes it's really hard. Like right now, I mean, that's a whole segment to talk about. Right now, you know, in terms of uh, pulling in as tight as you can to get through whatever this is, to see if you can come out the other side when, you know, business has dropped off, what, 85%? And that's yeah. just not me. That's like I was just listening to Marketplace on NPR. I think it's 65 to 95% or something, 85%. Yeah. Because people aren't spending money, so the economy is shifting. Yeah. How do you navigate that when you have a full team of people that you're responsible for? Mm-hmm. And yeah. commitments and inventory and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're right. Which is why I'm, yeah, which is why I'm drinking Whispering Angel. No. <laughs> 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 Just a little, because I made dinner, but my husband's actually playing a concert tonight, and we're donating the money to the Gulata House, which is a local organization here in the Hudson Valley, which is um, procuring and delivering meals to people who can't, don't have access. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Hudson Valley is a beautiful area. I'm, I'm sure, like, you really enjoy living there. Totally. You know, your area code is 413, so are you... Yes, um, I- uh, no, I it's um I we have a restaurant in Massachusetts and Springfield. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, of course you know Hartford. Yeah. 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 So rapid fire questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, before we go into rapid fire questions, I just want yeah. the listeners to be able to engage with you. How can sure. people learn more about Eco Bags and your book, The Magic of Tiny Businesses? Um. Well, for the Magic of Tiny Business, you just have to Google it. 
and it will come up on Amazon. It will come up on Shop Locally. You know, all the bookstores, it's available audio, paperback, etc. And please, if you read it and you want to leave comments, do that because that's, a, of course, how it rises in the world of Amazon. Um, you can also find out about, more about me at SharonRowe.com. Um, but if you forget all of that, you can always go to ecobags, ecobags.com. Um, everything that we do is there. And we're on Instagram, ecobags underscore US. And uh, we post there daily. Everything we post on Instagram, I think auto post to Facebook. We're not really on Twitter, but we're pretty findable if you just do ecobags.com. And so we're the original ecobags. Um, Perfect. That's how you can find me. And if you have any, if anybody has questions for me, please, I do. I actually do respond. I don't get on Twitter that much, so if I don't respond right away, it's because I'm not paying attention to Twitter. Um, I save that for just my, you know, my political stuff. Right. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot these days. Um, and it's not always that friendly, so you may not want to find me there. Um, but. Yeah, no, I think I think it's really important for people to ask questions and I think it's really important to understand too that the landscape still out there for women in business and for mission-based businesses is it's getting friendlier but we're still paving the way and people more than less in the worlds that I'm in move together move move forward together. They don't they, if they're in, even if they're competing, they move together and, and help each other out. So it's it's more of like a community uh, boost as opposed to you have to go it alone. Right. There's a lot of resources out there now. That's awesome. It, it, it is, and with the internet now and social media, it makes it so much easier. The world so much easier to really connect with people who you would like to um, get to know and yeah. uh, form a community with. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I forgot to say, I have an Instagram too, Sharon Rowe, R-O-W-E underscore. Perfect. So, you know, come to me. I'm, mostly I paint what I'm cooking, and I mean, I post what I'm cooking and what I'm painting. So, <laughs> so you have to endure oh, that. Neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. So, everybody. I, mean, get... I made ravioli the other night. I was so excited. <laughs> and did you paint it too? What do you paint? Um, no, I paint. I've, I've taken up a painting practice. I just really love it. I mean, there's nothing better than a blank canvas scare the crap out of me so it's like you know if I'm not acting I might as well throw colors on a on a on a canvas what's your favorite medium is it um acrylic I like oils oil yeah and I like oil crayon do you paint I don't but um I I used to paint with my kids a lot when they're younger but oh I I love watercolor and pastels all pastels yeah so oil crayons are like pastels which you you can sort of draw with them and then you can go over them with a brush and they bleed and it's really nice Right. I mean, sometimes it's really just a meditation, um, but I've been doing a lot of painting. You know, it's just amazing when you're creative. You you kind of you could go through so many different types of creativity, and you're using yeah. the same type of muscles. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's, well, it's really about letting it go. You know, letting following where that impulse goes, and 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 it's okay if it. You know, look. The worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work, and you paint over it. Yeah. Exactly. Or you yeah. just have extra canvas lying around that you can hang up on your wall. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, it's it's so nice having you on the show. I'm just I just want our listeners to know a little bit more about you. We're going into our rapid fire question segment. 
And okay. um, this is when, you know, people just know a little nuances about sharing. So the first mm-hmm. question is tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee. Uh, favorite pastime? You just said that you like to paint. So are are there yeah, any other? Yeah, swimming. But I can't swim now. Everything's yeah. closed. So, but, yeah, swimming. Right. Uh, favorite business book? How about this? My book, because I was so bored with all the other business books, which is why I wrote a book and I put cartoons in it. My book has cartoons. Oh, okay. Because business cannot just be boring. And some of the other business, and also a lot of the business books were written by men. That and, is and true. They're not, and it's like, no, that's not, no. I just kept thinking, oh, God, no, that's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to be. So. So I'll just say my book. I know it sounds kind of obnoxious, but that's what it is. No, not at all. Now yeah. I'm, ha- I'm I'm going to have to get a print version because I want to see yeah. the cartoons. Did you oh, draw yeah, the, the cartoons, cartoons yourself? No, my son did. He's actually he's done a bunch of cartoons for the New Yorker, and he's oh. an illustrator and cartoonist, and I think he did a great job. You guys are like a, a family of excellence. You know, uh, cartoons for the New Yorker. You're featured in yeah. <laughs> these great publications. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, but I still want to get an Oscar. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm, I'm going to be competing with Judy Dench at this point. <laughs> okay. Well, favorite vacation spot. Oh, Martha's Vineyard. Oh, I love Martha's Vineyard. I know my sister lives there. She actually has a business there. Oh, really? What kind of business? Yeah, Mar- Martha's Vineyard Sea Salt. She actually uh, harvests water from off South Beach and then turns it into salt crystals and sells it. Well, I need to have her on the show. Love you to do. Have her on the you show absolutely interview. do. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah, and I have another and sister in Middletown, Connecticut, who does improv, so you can have both of them. They could do oh, the three sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be really good. Yeah. Um, if you could spend a cool afternoon with anyone on a veranda, you know, thinking, drinking tea or coffee and living or dead, who would it be? You know, right now, it's about my husband. Like, Honestly. He's a pianist and a composer and a school teacher. He's doing virtual teaching now, which is really fun to listen to from the other room um, <laughs> with his third graders doing music. But, um, yeah, I think at this point, just hanging out, especially if it's sunny. We need some sun. We yeah. are still in New York. It's pretty gray. Um, that's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to stay in the real time. Other than that, I would love to have Greta Thunberg. That would be really awesome. The envir- the young environmentalist from Sweden. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your superpower? Hmm. You know, it's probably just, <laughs> it's kind of dumb, but it's just being hopeful. That's a huge superpower. Especially yeah, now. Yeah, I'm just humble. Yeah, I'm just, I realized, especially entering into this crisis, in the, I think I actually had it, by the way. I got really sick for about a week. Um, mm. But when I realized I couldn't control everything, I was like, oh, oh, great. I don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a great relief. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I mean, things are failing and on fire all around me, but I don't have to, I, you know, I, I have to wait till the, till it calms down. Yeah. And what surprised you the most about entrepreneurship? Surprises me the most. Um, probably that it's just it's really problem solving. It's it's ongoing problem solving and engagement. And um, I guess what surprises me the most is how many people keep jumping into this this live pool. 
Mm. I mean, it's it's not safe. Yeah. Well, I, just, I think there. I and think what by safe a... I mean it's not secure. Right. But it can be very exciting. It right. can also be extremely challenging and boring. Let me just say that because that business can be extremely boring. I think at different times, but the entrepreneur part, which is solving problems and you know creating better and and I for the most part the world that I live in is it's not just about me it's about we the how to solve larger problems using business as the platform or tool that's exciting mm-hmm. and what is your even if it's the only the stimulus I'm sorry oh no yeah yeah what is your parting advice for entrepreneurs Uh, my parting advice would be uh, to really connect with what you're doing on a very deep basis and be extremely visit visit your structures realistically on a regular basis. And by structures, I mean your support, your financial, the tangible items. Like, really make sure you have a balance between the intangible and tangible. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. You are a wealth of knowledge. And, again, um, where can people find more information? What's the uh, website again? Yeah, ecobags.com or SharonRowe.com or on Instagram, SharonRowe underscore or Ecobags underscore US. That would be it. And of course, the book, The Magic of Tiny Business, just type it into Amazon and it'll come up. And it's such a good read, guys, and very quick. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. and I read it. I can't believe you listened to the audio. That was so much fun. We did that here with an audio studio. I mean, years ago, I got an Emmy for voice work, so that was just totally fun to do again. But yeah, that was, it was, that was really good. Because a lot of that was authors, in the olden days. A lot of yeah. authors, they don't. Um, do the voice for their audiobooks, and you did it, and well, it was excellent. Yeah, because it's a whole other skill set, and I had to right. make it up. You know, I kept, you know, I tripped over a lot of words. Jeremy had to do a lot of squeezing together. You know, there's a lot of work involved in that, but these are all skills. I mean, there's there's a different there's passion, and then there's skills, and a lot of skills you just have to practice and learn. Mm-hmm. Just like painting, and you know, that's why I like painting actually, because I I kind of sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't but it's only through the ongoing practice of learning that I might actually get more skilled. I don't even want to say better because what is better? That's a, that's a, you know, like a, uh, that's like a review, just mm-hmm. more skilled. Yeah. Well, thanks well, again, Well, it's like you called me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And um, again, please read this book. It will really give you a good framework of how to approach business from, you know, the beginning to the end and a practical, approachable guide to, like, running a business. And being profitable. Keep and that being profitable. Because the key is you, you need to be profitable. Yeah, or else you won't have a business. <laughs> Otherwise, you won't have a business. Exactly. You'll just have some kind of hobby. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye.